powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello! Hey, everybody. Hi. Thank you very much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. I hope everyone had a good Memorial Day weekend. It's always fun to get some time off work and spend time with family and friends. But let's not forget the true meaning behind the holiday weekend. I hope everyone took a few minutes out of their day to think of those who pay the ultimate price to defend their homeland. All right, so before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Chancellor Kay Jackson. What an amazing episode for an equally amazing man. I am so glad he took the time to meet with me, and if you have not had a chance to hear our amazing interview, I highly recommend you do so after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 157, and we have a truly landmark episode for you today. In what will go down as not only one of my favorite interviews, but also one of my most inspiring we have on the show the CEO and founder of Rustic Cuff, Jill Donovan. Rustic Cuff is an incredibly successful boutique line of bracelets, metal cuffs, and custom handcraft leather. Jill will tell us the incredibly inspiring story of how she turned disappointment into steadfast determination and how she created a small empire right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It took a lot of stars to align to make this interview happen, so it gives me immense joy to say the next phrase, Duval Nation, please welcome to the show, calling in today from right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the CEO and founder of Rustic Cuff and one of the most inspiring guests I've ever had on the show, Jill Donovan. Jill, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duval Show. How is the weather out by you today? I haven't been outside in the last two hours, but I heard hail is on the way. I heard the same thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I haven't seen it. So I start my interviews off the same way, and that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 world up to this point? Well, uh, it has been up and down and all around. Some of the gr- greatest things have come out of the hardest years, which that's how it is, isn't it? So it is, It you know, it brings you to your knees and then you learn things that you most likely wouldn't have learned before and you grow in a way that you most likely would not have, but for the hardship. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. So every journey has a beginning. Where were you born and what was it like to grow up there? I was born in Baltimore, Maryland, and thus began my love affair with crab cakes. <laughs> and I'm on a search to find the very best one in the world. And I lived there till I was nine years old and moved to Pensacola, Florida with white sandy beaches and stayed there until I I went to college in Oklahoma. Speaking of college in Oklahoma, what are your favorite memories from attending Oral Roberts University? Well, I went to Oral Roberts University back in the 80s, 80s. And I think the best memories were that life seemed simple. I mean, hindsight now definitely seems way more simple, but you know, we didn't have phones, we didn't have internet and we didn't know any different. And the best memories thus were the interpersonal communications and interactions, connections that we had with everybody. You can't tell your kids now what it was like back then because they can't envision a world without it. Uh, But I had never experienced anything like that. I went to a very small private school in Pensacola, Florida. So I went from 17 in my graduating class to 5,000 people on campus and loved every, I really did love every second of it. So what inspired you to pursue a law degree at the University of Tulsa? Well, I left Oral Roberts not knowing exactly what I was designed to do. And 
I just got jobs in fields that I didn't even understand what I was doing or what the title was. I worked for MetLife for four years and then American Airlines for seven years. And I thought, I want something, I want to do something that has a one word title, doctor, lawyer, nurse, dentist, accountant, just, I want to, I want to have a profession. And um, my dad was a lawyer. My grandfather was a judge. And I thought I will go practice law with my dad who lives in Atlanta, who lived in Atlanta. Um, He and my mom did. And so I really, Derek, it wasn't so much that I was dying to be an attorney. I just loved school. I loved being a student, not because it, I didn't have to work, but I loved my thirst for knowledge was so big that it just couldn't be quenched. Mm. So you were a professor at university of Tulsa. What do you enjoy about teaching? Ah, uh, <laughs> I loved, again, it goes back to the connection with the students, but I think I loved the most, first of all, I was, I, Hindsight, I felt rather unqualified. I think I was rather unqualified. It was trial practice, and I had not done a single trial but in my whole career as an attorney, but I never told the students that. I just lived like I had been a trial attorney, and trial practice is really a lot about just connecting with the jury, and I think I just so enjoyed connecting with all of the students, teaching them how to communicate. I, I got I got a high every time. Not high. Not you got to be careful how you say that now. Oh my right. gosh, uh, I, it was a high for me to go teach when I did because I left there knowing there's not a lot of things that I can feel that way like I do when I spend hours with the students. Hmm. How fluent are you in Russian? Hmm. Um, well, I've started when I was nine, ten. I started when I was ten, and I haven't stopped learning, I would say I could, uh, I had an Uber driver last week that we were in California and it was a 25 minute drive. And so we talked, we got to know each other in Russian on the way, but I couldn't write, I couldn't write a paper. I mean, I can, I can, I can read and write it, but I'm sure it sounds a lot like somebody who comes to America and really (laughs) gives it their best shot. And I can understand what they're saying, but definitely can't conjugate verbs the way that, you know, we all know how to. Right. here. All right. So for my listeners, you are the founder and CEO of Rustic Cuff, a boutique line of bracelets, metal cuffs, and custom handcrafted leather. Rustic Cuff is an incredible success story in itself and had a very interesting beginning, I believe, with the Oprah Winfrey show. For my listeners who might not know, can you tell them about the experience and how it motivated you to become the successful entrepreneur that you are today? Well, I never had a desire to be an entrepreneur because, first of all, it's a difficult word to spell. <laughs> and secondly, any entrepreneur I knew worked 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I didn't want that that life of never having rest or sabbatical. And so the a zero desire to do that. But what I had done is starting at 10 Uh, starting with Russian, I chose a different hobby to do every year for 365 days. And one of the purposes, and I mean, I literally did that one hobby every day for 365 days. And then on January 1st, I would choose a brand new hobby and commit myself fully to that hobby. Partly for the purpose, because I like to learn, but partly for the purpose that I wanted to find out what I was created to do. And I figured that it was in the doing that I would discover at some point what lit me up in a way that I hadn't yet discovered. And so at 10, I started Russian was my first thing and I fully committed for one year and it just went on. Some of them were musically inclined. Some were sports. Others were art. It was, it was a, I mean, I, I did Texas Hold'em for one year just committed myself to tournaments and learning would spend Saturdays in the library. I mean, I, when I commit, I commit and um, I kept doing this, but still hadn't found the thing that I wanted to continue and make my uh, profession or just my purpose. I just, I I wasn't sure. And it seemed like everybody I knew had discovered what it is that they wanted to be when they grew up, even at 30. Uh, And so 
I, one year I thought, well, I, if I can just get around somebody who knows what they were called to do, perhaps that will rub off on me. And one of those people that I grew up watching in the eighties, nineties was Oprah Winfrey. And I thought, well, I'll just get a ticket to her show. Can't be that difficult. And then I, I can be around somebody who's fully committed to her calling. So I don't know if you've ever tried, but it was extremely difficult to get a ticket to her show. I think there were 20 million people watching daily. And I tried for at least four years. Finally, uh, frustrated with not being able to get a ticket, I thought that there's got to be another way. And when I went to look at her website, I saw that she was looking for people to be on her show. And I thought, okay, I don't necessarily want to be on the show, but if if that's a way to get to the show, then great. And so one of the, the very first thing in her list of things that she was looking for was, um, the question was, are you a regifter? If so, tell us your regifting stories, write us an email, and it's for a show about etiquette. And is it, you know, proper to regift? And so I wrote a quick, I was, I was an attorney at the time, and I wrote a quick email and included three stories about how my parents were regifters. And I grew up regifting. We could never go to the store to buy gifts for people like normal kids could. We had to go to our mom's regifting closet. And I wrote funny stories how I'd gotten caught by my friends, just funny things. And within two hours, I got a call back from a producer at the Oprah show who said she read my letter, my email, and wanted to fly one of her producers out the next day to Tulsa to film my gift closet. Well, here it had been years years of just trying to get a ticket to the show and now they're flying to Tulsa to film a gift closet. I, I love how life can change on a dime for something that you've been persistent and pursuing for years, thousands of days. And then in one moment, an email can change the course of what you've been doing and or the outcome. And so the next day they flew to Tulsa and interviewed me about regifting and it was just fun interview. And so as it turns out, they invited me with my husband to fly to Chicago to sit in the front row while they aired the clip they had produced. And I thought, this is so exciting. Like, not only do I get to be at the show, I get to sit on the front row of the show. And they did a fun clip about regifting. And really, Derek, 48 hours before that, I was in a deposition. I was a divorce attorney. I was in a deposition with a client, and I'm like, I, this is not what I'm called to do. I don't want to do this. And so now I'm getting ready to discover, what is this thing? And I'm going to be near somebody. And right before the show started, and I'm in the front row feeling really excited, the producer came up to me and said, we have a change of plans, Jill uh, you're going to be sitting on the couch with Oprah and she's going to be interviewing you and you get to tell your three stories. Again, in an instant, everything had changed. I was just going to be in the front row watching and now I get to be interacting. And so just like that, the show started and they had two etiquette experts on the stage. They aired the clip. And it's a very weird, surreal thing when, like I said, you know, 48 hours before that, this wasn't even on your radar. Mm -hmm. And... They aired the clip and Oprah said, all right, how does it feel to be exposed to the world for regifting? And I'm not so much thinking about regifting. I'm just thinking about the experience of being there. And we talked about it for a second. And she said, well, let's ask the etiquette experts what they think. And she throws it over to these etiquette experts from Canada. And both of them were not fans of regifting. They felt like it was deceptive and they, and they, and they said so in front of 20 million people. And they thought that what I was doing was tacky. And I should take everything and give it away or, you know, give it to goodwill. And again, in a matter of minutes, what I thought was going to happen was a complete 180. And I felt like I was sucker punched. And it was, it was no fault of anybody's. These girls were promoting a book. They didn't agree with regifting. Oprah just was having a show about etiquette. And I happened to get in the, in the middle of that. And, you know, 13 minutes later, my segment ended and, I didn't get to tell a single story. I was just dumbfounded. Here yeah. I was, an attorney, and I was taught to be a wordsmith, and I couldn't even get anything, a coherent thought. And uh, it ended, and I remember leaving, and in tears, not in front of them, but to my husband, I said, why in the world 
did this have to happen? I would have been happy sitting on the back row just to be there. Why did I, how did it happen that it evolved into me sitting on a stage being really embarrassed now? And, and now this whole, whole thing was tainted by my loss of hope of finding that thing that I'd been looking for for so long. So I remember going home, emptying the gift closet out and saying, I don't want to ever re-gift again, nor do I want to do any more hobbies, uh, nor do I want to watch Oprah. This part of me, in, the part inside of me felt like it died. Now I realize it was just sleeping. Hmm. But when you get disappointed, something just sort of just goes to sleep and you don't even sometimes realize it until much later when it wakes up again. And that's what happened to me for years Five years after that, or for, yeah, five years after that happened. However, there was a point the day that the show ended that I said I had a coherent thought and said to my husband, I, his name's Terry, and I said, Terry, I really don't know why this had to even turn out the way that it did because I would never have planned it like this. But I have a very strong feeling that but for this disappointment, you know, but for the COVID, but for the pandemic, but for the hard trial of being on television in front of 20 million people but for that whatever it is that i'm supposed called to do in life to be wouldn't have happened the way it's supposed to happen so i will remember that as i go through the pain of, of the loss of this like hope for what it could have been i will remember that this will have a greater purpose than if i just had a good 13 minutes on tv and three weeks later it aired and it, and it was indeed worse than i remember and then it aired two more times that year. So it aired three times that year, all reminding me not so much of my embarrassment. I can handle embarrassment, but reminding me of the loss of something that I had been hoping for. Uh, so five years later, I took a sabbatical from, from the practice of law and from teaching. And I had two beautiful little girls. And can, can I say beautiful about my own? Like, that's not bragging. I mean, every mom thinks their kids are beautiful. Okay. Right. I I have two girls that I fell in love with. And the one thing that was missing was this create I'm created to create. And this part inside of me that had been stopped years ago was very gun shy to start creating again, to start hoping again. And that's what happens when something shoots us down. We do not have the same sort of wings we had before because they were clipped by somebody or something. And and so I didn't even realize it until years later uh, in the middle of the night when everybody was sleeping in my home, I, it was like two in the morning and I felt like I'd been, I, I suddenly began to feel the weight of what, and, and Derek, this, it's all relative. People go through much more difficult things than getting, uh, losing hope on a, you know, in front of 20 million people three times. I, there's so much worse suffering going on in the world, but when it's your own suffering, it is, you, f you feel it as if, you know, there's all kinds of degrees for me in this moment. It was devastating. Uh, but I, I just have to say that I know there's much, much worse going on with people and in the world. But when I got up at two in the morning, I remember saying that I, I forgive these two girls that I now realize I thought they had stolen my dream of discovering something of having hope that I would discover what it was I was called to do. And I just remember at two in the morning saying, I, I, I they're from Canada. So I, I called them Canada as if they represented all of Canada. <laughs> um, I said, I forgive Canada. And when I said that, it was as if I felt something physically lift off of me. And when it lifted off of me, something new was deposited to me, a new hope for something that I didn't even know. I just, something was birthed inside of me at two o'clock in the morning when I said, I forgive these girls. And I didn't know I had been carrying a weight of resentment that they had somehow stolen it. Now I realize they they were just used. They were part of my story. They were used to create something even greater than just a 13-minute segment. And so I, I got up out of bed that night, and I opened my top drawer in my bedroom, and it's filled with cuff bracelets 
because when I worked for American Airlines, I collected bracelets all over the country and the world as reminders of my special time in that place. And I opened the drawer. This is why my husband doesn't like to sleep with me because I wasn't respecting the silence of sleep for him. But I remember <laughs> opening my drawer and and I thought, you know what? I'm going to teach myself how to make cuffs, this thing that I love, these big bracelets. And I'm going to put words on there of encouragement that I wish I would have had on my wrist for the last five years. You know, quotes or phrases, like um, all kinds of things. One day at a time or this too shall pass. Faith in God includes faith in his timing. And I'm going to put those on there as reminders for people. And I wish I would have had that. And I, I remember sitting down at the computer that night and typing in, how do you make leather cuffs? How do you engrave on metal? All, and I, my thirst for everything up to that point in my life culminated in that one evening because I knew I would never want to sleep again. And I like to sleep. I was so excited because something birthed inside of me, but it only happened after I forgave my who I thought had stolen my dream. And I never, from that moment on, I never stopped with this obsession of creating to give other people hope. Now, let me tell you, if I had not experienced what I did on TV, I wouldn't have emptied my gift closet out. I probably still be, maybe still be practicing law. I wouldn't have gone through what I went through to hope again. And I cre started creating bracelets that night. I forgot that I had any responsibility in life. Forgot I had children, forgot about my husband, because I spent all of my time in this back guest bedroom creating something because when you are filled with the hope of something new in life and you've been sleeping for so many years, you don't ever want to sleep again. And I did this for months and I filled this gift closet back with all of these bracelets that I spent hours creating each bracelet because now I had zero desire to be an entrepreneur. I just wanted to create. And I love when I hear somebody else talk about their passion they're not doing it for money. They're really, I mean, there's just a great byproduct of it. They're doing it for the sheer love of creation or whatever it is that their lane is. And when the closet got filled up with cuffs, I just strongly felt like I was supposed to put some on and start giving them away, which I didn't really want to at the time because they were so precious to me because I spent so many hours and they were birthed out of this whole story. And I, I wanted to keep them, but I felt like, I couldn't keep them all in there. I was supposed to give them away. So the first time I ever did it, I put three on my wrist and went to the store, to the grocery store, and just found a girl that my heart was pull tugging me towards. And she was checking people out with their groceries. And I got some groceries and went up and just said, I feel like I'm supposed to give this to you. And it was the first time. And it was a little uncomfortable because I'm not trying to promote me or this thing. I just wanted to do it. I could not do it. And she started to cry and said, I, um, I, you wouldn't have any way of knowing this. She didn't, I'd never seen her before in my life, but yesterday I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And when I was in the doctor's office, after I'd gotten the news, I, through my tears, asked God to give me a sign of hope that everything was going to be okay. And I looked down at this bracelet and I had randomly pulled one of the three off and it was a pink bracelet. And she looked back at me and said, I just want to thank you for being that sign of hope. And I remember getting in my car and just sitting there before I left the store. And I thought, this is what I'm called to do. I, all these years of all the hobbies, not wasted, they all led to this moment of discovering that I was created to create, to give hope. And it happened to be through a bracelet. It could have been through anything. It just happened to be the, the vessel that it, in the platform that it came from. And from that day on, I never slept again and I never stopped creating. And that was tw almost 12 years ago. And it grew and grew so fast that, um, that I had, again, I had no desire to have employees or I mean, I, already, I had children and that was enough responsibility, but it grew to 200 employees and 
we had our own brick and mortar stores and just was so it grew so fast that my head was spinning. Um, and I, I wasn't even, I really wasn't prepared for that because I just, I'm a creator. I, I, I didn't want all the logistics that come along with a company. That was not my specialty nor my desire. Uh, but God, I think just chose an unlikely, very unlikely entrepreneur to uh, without any preconceived ideas of what it should be or what it should look like. And I lived like anything was possible. I lived with a limitless mindset, all birthed from this really good thing gone bad years ago. And, um, and that, is the, that is the story of how Rustic Cuff began. That's amazing. That's, that's yeah. very powerful. Mm. When Rustic Cuff started, how did you map out your business venture? How did you get it all <laughs> off the ground? Well, there wasn't a lot of mapping my husband would ask the same question, where's your business plan? It, it really was like flying out of, jumping out of an airplane and somebody telling you about a parachute and then having some materials and say, here, hope you can make one as you're, you know, as you're jumping. Um, I didn't hire people necessarily for skill. I hired them because I wanted to be around them, my friends. So I had a whole company of people that were learning together it was fascinating to watch. You know, I hired my friends who were teachers, my friends uh, from law school. And it wasn't even about, we forgot sometimes we were making bracelets and it became about this culture of just wanting to give hope to people. And it became about this culture of having women. It, I think we had two men at, you know, after maybe six years, we had two men working here. And it became about this exciting joy to be a part of something, but let me tell you, I did not have a rule book. I had no plan, didn't map anything out. I couldn't understand why people would do that. It was so much work. Uh, I now understand why people do that because proactive, uh, you know, proactive preparation sure beats uh, last minute scrambling. And that is, I learned that the hard way. Years, years of that. So your bracelets and cuffs have been, you know, heavily sought after now for many, many years, you know, many swapping and so forth. How do you, where do you source your materials to keep up with the demand? So we have a, um, again, I, nobody told me how or where to go. So we have a production facility here in Tulsa that we make a lot of pieces here, custom things, engraving. We do a lot of things with you know, Python, Stingray, that's when PETA starts calling me. Um, uh, so we have to source parts and pieces from all over the place, uh, internationally and uh, some in California. And, but we, uh, our designs are made here and now, especially COVID, um, most of our production is here in our facility here in our corporate headquarters in Tulsa. Okay, Deval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Jill Donovan. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right. <laughs> Cluzo style. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Out with the bad air, in with the good. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show, and we will be right back. Welcome to Wine Chats with Bildo and Lindalyn. My name is Billy Milovanovich, a.k.a. Bildo. My name is Lindsay Kirkwood, also known as Lindalyn. And this is our offensively funny podcast about drinking wine and chatting life. Some of our previous topics include conspiracy theories. I know somebody that thinks the world's flat. What? Like a real person? Yes. Body ailments. I'm going to go from toes up because I have a lot. <laughs> no, seriously, you laugh, but I have so many body ailments. This is what ailments. happens with age, guys. And I know. And orgasms. I'm a little bit frustrated and it just hasn't been happening. I, I'm trying, Henry's trying, we're all trying, but when orgasming is good, it's good. Basically, we talk about all the things that you would generally talk about over wine with your girlfriends. New episodes out each Monday. Chat, Chat soon. Duval Nation, Derek and Mindy Duval here to talk about Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. The Derek Duvall Show and Derek and Mindy's Fun With Movies is proud to be sponsored by the team at Jerky Pro. As a veteran, I am always the first to support veteran-owned businesses. Setting up shop in 1987 and founded by military and paramilitary veterans, they have set the bar for how beef jerky is processed, flavored, packaged, and sold. 
With strict quality control standards, Jerky Pro offers many flavors that are sure to please any beef jerky connoisseur. From the standard original flavor to honey glazed, peppered, teriyaki, sweet barbecue, or if you're brave enough, the fierce red hot, there are many flavors guaranteed to entice your palate. Offered in various sized packaging, use promo code DUBALL37, all in capital letters, at checkout to receive a 5% discount. Remember folks, if your beef jerky is not making your mouth water, then it's not Jerky Pro Beef Jerky. Jerky Pro, the standard in premium beef jerky products. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Hey, it's Presley Tennant, and you're listening to The Derek Duvall Show. You can find my brand new EP, 600 Miles, on all streaming platforms right now. Hello, this is Erica, host and guide of the YouTube vlog Mon Jardin au Coin. I invite you to join me as we explore the many joys of gardening, such as sowing seeds, raising plants, and the reward of harvesting. If gardening is something you're interested in, or you just want to follow my adventures and receive tips to help any novice break into starting their own garden, you can find Monjard on Oquan on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. I look forward to having you hang out with me in my little garden on the corner. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duval Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. This is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, A Veteran's Journey from Homeless to Hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 157 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with the CEO and founder of Rustic Cuff, Jill Donovan. All right, so when I told people you're going to be on the show, I submitted it out into Twitter world, and I asked people to submit some questions. Now, I chose the most intelligent of them, and we've sprinkled them in through the interview. But the first one is a great question, and the question comes from a person in Boston, and it reads like this. Your business went into the stratosphere, no question about it, and has now been worn by such global superstars as you know Carrie Underwood, Trisha Yearwood, Beyonce, and more. Looking back now, are you completely amazed how successful your venture has been? Yeah, I, I, everybody, you know, people say, oh my gosh, congratulations. What a success this is. And I, I just say, in spite of me, that happened, not because of me. It's really in spite of me. I, I got in my way a a lot, but the truth is, I think anybody with the mindset that anything is possible, that is not limited by Mm, I don't think I can do that or that's never been done. So I probably can't. I literally thought that anything was possible that I, you know, and just for the fun of it, I would send my bracelets to Beyonce or to whomever that I, that I would watch on TV and I would FedEx it there. And then 
literally turn on the TV two days later to see if they were wearing it on the morning show because I believed it was possible. And I didn't let anybody say, well, you don't have a business plan and this, you know, you've got to follow that because that is how it has been done. And I think when you live in that mindset that anything is possible, it, it, you almost walk into the anything is possible life. So it is not, it really isn't because of me. It is because people wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. So we did a lot of things where we, we would say, you know, bring, bring in um, Disney coloring books for kids at, you know, St. Francis Children's Hospital and we'll take it there and then we'll give you a bracelet or something. And people could easily go up to St. Francis and give a Disney coloring book in crayons, but they would come and wait in line for four hours to give that with a thousand people to give that in line because they wanted to be a part of something outside of themselves or bigger than themselves. And so to stand and watch that. And I just felt like sometimes I had these just sort of God given ideas that I would think of on a Friday night or they would give me on a Friday night and Saturday we'd go, let's do it. And it was so much bigger. Had I written this whole plan out, I just, I don't, it would not have been that plan. I don't think that it would have executed the way that it did. You know, it's funny you say that, you know, believe that anything is possible. That is the exact mantra for what I do. Because, mm. you know, I mean, you know, I started small. Now I'm one of the biggest ones, independent podcasts in the United States. And that's, like you said, anything is possible as long as you believe in it. That's the Absolutely. Way, I, that's way I look at it. Yeah. And I think so many people um, hear voices in their head uh, of other people and then make it their own voice, mm -hmm. whether it was your parents growing up or w something you're listening to. And it becomes your own voice and you start believing that and what you believe is how you walk out life. Mm -hmm. So I like to live as if truly any, and I tell my um, my team here, even today, we had a meeting before this podcast, and I said, it doesn't matter what you think the limits are for anything we're doing here. I want you to imagine that your wings are not clipped at all, that you can fully fly. Because if you think that you have clipped wings in any way, you won't try to fly the way the way people would if they had full capacity. Mm. So it's, it's, I mean, it's a, you know, dear, I know you know this since it's your mantra, but it's a total mindset, but it really, really does change the outcome of what you're doing. Mm. So I want to talk to you briefly about your book, The Kindness Effect, Experience the Power of Irrational Giving. What inspired you to write it? Well, I didn't want to write a book as much as I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. Uh, <laughs> and so when the publisher first came to me, I said, no, I don't. I just <sighs> at first my mindset was that feels a little self-serving to write a book about my story and about kindness. Who am I? You know, there's a lot of kind people. And it it wasn't like I was doing this false humility thing. I just didn't I didn't, didn't feel like we needed another book in from me. And then she came back six months later and said, you know, we really want you to, to tell your story and to talk about kindness. I said, no, again, but the third time she came back, she brought a mock-up of what this book would look like. And, you know, it said by Jill Donovan, Rustic Cuff, and it had a picture. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm in. Let's do it. <laughs> it was, I don't know. I think it was just not because of that, but it was just time. And so I, the first third of the book is the story of Rustic Cuff, just a longer version of what I shared with you. And then the remainder, you know, each chapter is a different quote that I put on our cuffs and it's stories based on those quotes. And I learned a lot, again, writing a book. I didn't have mentors around me saying, do this, do that. I just started flying. I think mm. I've learned the value of a mentor 12 years later. What has yeah. the response to the book been like? The response to the book was amazing. People want to be inspired by goodness and other stories of other people and these stories were not just about me they were about others uh it has been you know it's very humbling when somebody writes you a letter or shares how the book ha has changed them or what it's meant to them I, of course now i go back and look and it's like anything first that you put out i'm like wait i want another chance that was first i would have done so much differently uh, but for that season, it was, you know, that's how I knew to write a book. I just told, told it from my heart and um, 
and then I said I'd never write a book again. And now I'm I'm writing another one because that's what we do. We say never and then we do. That's, that's what I'm doing. Fun. Yeah. So the next fan question comes from a fan here in Chicago, Illinois. And the question is, your current self gets to talk to your younger self after the Oprah Winfrey show. What do you say to her? Well, she could write a book about what she tells herself. But the main thing that she would tell herself would be to, uh, and I, I made up this phrase, so I might have to explain it. Mourn the moment without memorializing it. Give yourself a moment to realize it wasn't what you thought it was going to be. Mourn it. Call everybody that you want to. Post about it. Do whatever you want. And then give yourself a date that... But when that date comes around, your mourning period has ended and you will not build a memorial to it. You will not look back at it and keep running back to it uh, to relive the memory of it. You won't keep speaking about it and it doesn't become a memorial. It just becomes, you know, it's not not even necessarily a mistake. It just becomes part of your journey. And I don't think I would have built, I would have told myself, don't build memorials nor when people do things that are wrong uh, or that you feel have wronged you, don't don't pick that up. Walk over it. Don't become become almost unoffendable, and you will go further. Like forgive now instead of realizing five years later. Oh, I've been I'm so triggered when I see a picture of that person. Forgive now, knowing how much you know we've been forgiven. And I would have told myself that. Don't fall asleep, Jill. You know, this is part of the journey. Don't don't give up hope. Mm. I would have told her that. That's awesome. Now, this next question, I know you have a reluctance to call yourself an entrepreneur. But yeah. this next but this question is a good one. And that is, what would be the best advice that you can give to someone who is wanting to start a small business? Mm. Well, <laughs> That's a that's a really, really good question because I do get asked that a lot. You know, you get people call and say, can I pick your brain? Can I take you to lunch and pick <laughs> your brain? Uh, you know, what works for one doesn't necessarily work for the other because we're all different. I think the thing that I would tell somebody and the thing I do tell people is it takes more than just wanting to have a small business if you really want it to be successful. You have to be doing something or believe in something or there's something extra that comes along that almost becomes magical. When you do things just for the money, just for the money, if you're not really enjoying it, the burnout happens so much faster. So whatever it is that you choose to do as a small business, it is beneficial to choose something that you would lose sleep for and that you, because what happens is you can't fake it. It comes through every part of your being when you are in love with what you do, but more so than that. And you're a great example of this, Derek, you will go push. Um, you will push through doors that are closed because you want it so badly. If you want your podcast to be the number one podcast, it's not going to happen by just sitting around wishing for it. So because you're so, there's an obsession that just has to come that you'll lose sleep over. And because you were so obsessed, you you did not leave anything, any rock unturned because you knew that this was possible. So whoever starts a small business, if you are if you are not willing to push through all of the barriers already set up, then you maybe should go work for somebody else because uh, mm. it's a it's a hard road to have all the response. And even in this day and age, it's just a whole different world with, you know, social media and marketing and everything. Now, you've got to it doesn't matter if you're 80, you've got to be willing to do things that a 20 year old would do because that's what will make this particular business successful. And I mean, I'm just giving a generalized example there, but obsession is the word I would say. And if you don't have that obsession and you're not doing it for, for you know, the right reasons, if you're just doing it just to, uh, because you just want more money, I, you're not going to be as driven if you don't really love what you're doing. There's something that comes along with the joy of doing it. It doesn't have to, I mean, you could be making marbles. It really doesn't matter. 
it, the excitement and joy of being an entrepreneur has to be there or there's no staying power. Something has to be there, either the obsession or the joy of being an entrepreneur, of, of working for yourself. Amen. I agree 100%. Yeah. So you teased earlier a book. What is next for you? Oh, so I am. I'm actually writing a book with the same title that I just gave you for what I would tell my younger self to mourn the moment without memorializing it. Um, and it's about getting unstuck, being unoffendable and moving forward in life without being bound by things of the past or the mentality of, of others. So I'm excited. I'm excited because I'm writing it out of total experience now. Right. Couldn't have written it 10 years ago. So as we enter the final phase of this interview, I always like to ask one fun question. That is, you know, when you aren't being what you would not like to call yourself an entrepreneur, what do you like to do for fun? How do you how do you unwind? How do you relax? First of all, all your questions have been fun. Secondly, secondly, this really is a fun question because I've done 43 years of hobbies and there is so much that I love to do. That even this morning when I came in the office and I wrote down all the things I wanted to do today, they were all fun. None of them were because uh, I have to. So I like to live in a world of get to. But here are the current things that I'm doing. Um, I uh, <clears throat> I crochet and my, I'm crocheting a blanket for every single employee this year. And each blanket takes 12 hours. So that is I do it when I travel. Um, I am I am learning uh, a new skill with Lucite, and I'm obsessed with it. I'm Lucite and um, art on Lucite. Uh, I play the piano, obsessed with playing the piano. I've been playing since I was five, so I. It is how I unwind. Um, I play poker. I love poker. I shouldn't say that probably because I don't know people. It's a little taboo sometimes. No, no, uh, not at all. Uh, but I like I like to play poker because I like that every two to three minutes or four minutes, a brand new hand starts. You get a fresh new start, no matter what happened in the last hand. And so it's a metaphor for life for me. Just and, and it's just the mind, the challenge of uh, it's a bit of a mind game too. Um, and then I really enjoy going to see movies by myself. Um, that I love. I'll do it anytime, any day. Um, and I mean, there's so much, Derek. I really, I'm obsessed with, uh, too much that mm. I can't, I don't, that's why I don't like, it's hard being CEO, CEO of this company. Cause I have to make a lot of really boring decisions, mm. just things that just, when people come and ask me questions that have to do with logistics, they see my face and they know I that just, I don't enjoy that. Really? Some people do. I don't. Right. You know, it's funny. No, I'm seriously. Yeah, I've had, like I said, I've been doing this for a long time. And I asked that same question and I've not had one single person who's listed at least seven things. That's well done. Oh. That, the first one to do that. Well done. Oh, thank you. I, I think that, that if I didn't have to sleep, that I could do more I, of more of these things because I don't want, I don't want my entire day to be filled with have tos. Life is yeah. life is way too short. And I think there are too many things for us to learn. It's just that people, this is, you know what people say? I'm just not good at that. I'm not good. And, and you know what I say? Well, you're not good at it because you don't push past the first phase of being bad at it. Mm-hmm. Everybody's bad when they start. Everybody. And you just got to push past that. One of my beliefs is um, there's a film director I'm a very big fan of, and he said once in a, in a Q&A, he goes, surround yourself with people who say why not, because there's yeah. too many because there's too many people in this world who will say why. You know, hey, I want to go make a podcast. Yeah. Why? You know, I want to start a business. Why? Surround yeah. yourself with people who say why not. I'm like, that's a great idea. Why not? Let's do it. You know, that's, exactly. how, that's, that's how I believe anyway. So, yeah, I'm going to have another meeting after this, and I'm going to ask everybody, tell them I want to do something crazy. And all the people that say why I'm going to let him go today. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So what would be the yeah. best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? So let's see. We have rusticuff.com. I put out a weekly blog, uh, which you can go to jilldonovan.com and sign up for. Or, or you can see them there, but you can also subscribe. That comes every Monday. Um, we are on Instagram, Rusticuff, Jill Donovan, Rusticuff, 
all the things, all the places. Um, <laughs> but we they they can they can find us, and we would love to have more fun new people in our family. And even if you're not fun, we still as long as you laugh at us and with us, that's enough for us. All right, Jill. I end my interviews with my favorite question, and the question is this. If the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you'd like to say to the people of Earth? Oh, gosh, Derek. I would say God is faithful. That's that's what I would say. God is faithful. All right. The book yeah. is The Kindness Effect, Experience the Power of Irrational Giving, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your books. Jill, congratulations on all your success, and I wish you nothing but the best for all your future endeavors. And I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, you are truly an inspiration to many small business owners all over the world. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. Thank you for having me, Derek. I, I, I truly enjoyed our hour together. Thank You're you. Welcome. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 157. I want to thank Jill for taking the time out of her insanely busy schedule to spend an hour with me. I am sure it's no secret listening to that interview that I am very inspired by her and what she has accomplished. Plus, she's just an incredibly nice woman and all that she does in the community as well cements that belief. So Jill, the door is always open if you want to return to the show. So thanks again for coming on the show. Plus, a huge shout out to Renee from Jill's team for helping to make this interview happen. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for the episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode? I truly hope you have, so please go hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling froggy, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show has a great little store on there with everything with our logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you will be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with the show. So on behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, and there is a team, believe me, I want to say to each and every one of you listening, take a page out of Jill's book and commit to learning a new hobby this year and give it all you've got. Start with something simple, and you will be amazed at how quickly, if you keep up at it, you will pick it up. No star, God bless, and see you next time, Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.